Well, that was, wow, that's really loud. Well, that was a great introduction. Thank you for that. Um, and so, like you said, if you don't know me, I am Michaela, and um, I've been around and about for two years now, ever since we started dating, but since we officially got married, I've been here full time, and I can just say I really do truly love this house. I love being a part of it, and I'm so grateful that I have this small part to be able to speak tonight. And I'm just honored to be able to speak from this pulpit, and I thank Pastors Brian and Renee for inviting me to share what God has laid on my heart. And so before I do that, I'm just going to pray real quick. I always like to pray before I start preaching. So if everybody can just bow their heads and close their eyes real quick. Dear God, thank you for this night. Thank you for every single person and every individual that is here in this house. And I know that we're here for a purpose and for a reason, and I believe that you have a word for everybody here in this room, and so I pray that we've had open hearts to receive it, and that you would just bless me as I speak, that it would be your words and not my own. And so just bless the rest of this night, and come and have your way. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so most of the groundwork for tonight's message is coming out of the book of First Thessalonians. And if you've never read that book, I've just spent the last month or so studying it, and it's an incredible book. So if you haven't, I challenge you guys to read the book of 1 Thessalonians. But don't worry, I'm not covering all of it tonight, just some pieces of it, so don't worry. And so my title for tonight's message is, Where Our Hope Lies. So, Where Our Hope Lies. And before I dig into the scripture, I just kind of want to provide some background information about the book of 1 Thessalonians. Because when you're studying the Bible, you always have to keep it within context, and you always have to have the background information of to whom it was written, who it was written by, and that keeps us from going outside of context when we read it. And so Paul is writing the book of 1 Thessalonians, and he's writing this letter to a church so he's not writing these words to unbelievers, but he's speaking these words that I'm going to share with you guys tonight to believers like us, to people who already know God, to people who already follow God. And so you can read Paul's travels to this church in the book of Acts during his second missionary journey. But one thing that I want to make important note of is that this young church was facing persecution and hardships. As in the book of Acts chapter 17, you'll read these believers were literally dragged out of their homes and they were accused of treason against the Roman government because they believed in Jesus. Because they claimed they were following King Jesus instead of King Caesar. And so these people were facing persecution by the government. They're also facing persecution from their own countrymen. People they literally live with, do life with, are giving them problems and hardships and persecution. And so because of the good news they believe, the message they received from Paul, they are experiencing severe suffering. And that's what it says in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so they obviously have it rough at this time, at the time of this writing. And so Paul sends Timothy, his co-worker, his friend in Christ, to go speak to this church because Paul is concerned that they are going to lose faith because of their troubles. He's concerned that their, their troubles is going to weaken their faith. And admittedly, here in the year 2020, we kind of have it rough too. Because um, if you haven't noticed, we have COVID literally 
threatening to consume our entire lives right now. If you watch the media, if you watch the news, that's what they like to convince us of. And now we are told that we have to wear a mask if we even want to step foot outside of our homes. And there's talk about this possibility of a cashless society going around that nobody knows what's up. And we also have an election, and then schools are pushing back when they're starting the school year. And so we, too, like this church, are facing hardships of our own. And we also have our personal struggles and our personal hardships to add on top of this. And so we, too, can say that we have it pretty rough right now. And we can relate to the people that Paul is speaking to when he writes this letter. And so this is what he says, what Paul writes to this church that we can relate to in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. Okay. And he sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother, God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. And even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. And so Paul mentions here that we are destined for troubles, that it's not something that should surprise us, that troubles will soon come, and if they haven't, they will. And so Jesus even warned him himself, as I'm sure most of us know, that troubles will come in this life while we're here on this earth. And so these trials and circumstances that we're going through shouldn't catch us by surprise. But I don't know about you, but this personally, this current pandemic really caught me off guard. Like it really just seemed like it came out of nowhere. Because I was on spring break, actually, this in March. And um, this was back before COVID was a serious thing. This was back when just COVID was rumors that were happening across the world somewhere else. And I was sitting in a hair salon, actually getting my hair done for my wedding back in March. And I got a text and an email on my phone from my university saying they're extending spring break for another week because of COVID. And so at first, I was like, okay, great, this is awesome. I'm so excited because I get two weeks of spring break, and who wouldn't want two weeks of spring break? But then I never returned to campus. We never went back. We went back online, and nothing was normal after that. Nothing seemed normal after that. And then businesses closed. Restaurants closed. And this season came out of nowhere and I know that we're, we will have trials and troubles, but I never saw this coming. And I'm sure none of you guys ever saw this coming either. Like at the beginning of the year, if we would have told you that we would be here now, I don't think anybody would have believed it. And so I'm saying all this to say we, too, have troubles right now. All of us collectively in the same room for the first time in forever is going through the same thing at the same time. And I want to address the church just as Paul did tonight because I'm worried the current circumstances of our world is weakening our faith. I am concerned the uncertainty, the fear, the chaos, the absolute insanity of our current events is causing us to lose hope. And so Paul writes to the Thessalonians out of this same concern that I expressed to you tonight. 
If we'll go back to 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 through 3, this is what it says. It says, we sent him, being Timothy, to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. And I want to make a particular note of that part that says, to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you're going through. So even though we are destined for troubles, we do not have to be shaken by them. Even though troubles are guaranteed, we don't have to be moved by them. We don't have to be disturbed by them as Christians. And shaken means, literally in a dictionary, it means to lessen the stability of something, to weaken, to diminish, to put in a state of instability. And so that's what troubles likes to do when they come into our life. They want to make us unstable. Troubles wants to weaken our faith. It wants us to cause us to lose hope. But Paul is saying here that instead of panicking, instead of getting worried and becoming anxious whenever troubles come, we need to remain steadfast. We need to remain emotionally stable. That instead of allowing our troubles to weaken our faith and diminish our hope, we need to stand unshaken by them. We need to stop being shaken by our troubles. We need to stop weakening our faith because of what we're going through. And we need to stop losing hope just because the world around us appears bleak. And so we can, and it is possible, to reach a place where we can be unshaken and undisturbed by the troubles we're going through. It seems crazy, but it is entirely possible to do so. And what if I told you that despite the chaos, we can gain hope in this season instead of lose it? We can actually have a greater hope once all of this is done and over with than we did back at the beginning of the year. Because this is what it says in Romans 5, 3 through 4. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So troubles can actually strengthen our hope. They can actually increase our endurance. Problems and trials can help us develop our endurance, which ultimately develops our hope. And so the very same problems and trials that threaten to weaken our hope, that cause us to want to give in and give up, are also opportunities to strengthen our faith, to develop an even greater endurance. The very same troubles that causes us to become unstable is the very same troubles that can cause us to build upon a solid rock. And so in the face of troubles, we can either develop a greater endurance, keep pressing through, or we can throw in the towel. We can either lose hope or we can gain hope. And so the question is, how do we do that? Like, how do we keep from being shaken by our troubles? How do we get to the point where we can develop hope and endurance instead of lose it? How do we remain stable and secure despite the hardships we're facing? And so 
my first point I want to share is whether you are shaken or not depends on where your hope lies. Whether you are shaken or not depends on what you put your trust in. Whether you remain steadfast or not depends on what you put your confidence in. For despite the hardships that the Thessalonian church were going through, Paul calls them within the book an example to all believers. Even though they were suffering, they were an example to believers within their whole region. And so that makes them an example to us today to look to. And one of the defining characteristics they had that we need to have as well is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. And it says, As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think about your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus. And so they have an enduring hope because of the Lord Jesus. The ESV version says a steadfastness of hope. Their hope remains steadfast and does not waver. Even though they are facing severe suffering, their hope still endures. And the only reason their hope endures is because it is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their hope endures because they have planted it in Jesus Christ. Their confidence is in him alone. As we have an enduring hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have a hope that can remain steadfast despite the troubles we face when it is in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the opposite is also true. That if your hope is not enduring, if it is weakening, it is because it is not in Jesus. If your hope is weakening, it is in something else other than Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have an enduring hope, a persevering hope. But in the world, we have a shakable hope, an unstable hope. And our hope only remains steadfast when it is in Jesus. And if our hope is in the world or the things of this world, it will be shaken. It will diminish. We will lose hope. And my question for you today, tonight, is if you have lost hope, if you have lost confidence, and if your hope has not endured the difficulties of this season, we need to ask ourselves where our hope was in the first place. What was our hope in to begin with? And I want you just to think to yourself, ask yourself, have I lost hope? Personally reflect, have I lost hope here recently? Have I lost confidence or has it wavered in the face of current events? And if the answer is yes then ask yourself, what else have I put my hope in besides Jesus? Because if our hope were truly in Jesus, if we were truly in the Lord at the beginning of the year, we would still be hopeful right now. Our hope would have endured the past three months if it were truly in Jesus. And that is a really hard pill to swallow. Even for me personally, like I read this and it just hit my toes because I swore 
my hope was in Jesus. But then this season has revealed the unstable foundations that I have built my life on. And no wonder so many are living hopeless right now. And no wonder it seems like all hope is gone because we're putting our hope and our confidence in the wrong sources. We are placing our expectations in faulty man-made systems which are currently being shaken. For pastor shared this verse a couple of weeks ago, and I loved it, and so I'm going to share it again. And it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27 through 28. And it says, this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed, so that only unshakable things will remain. And since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And so this verse basically promises that all of creation will be shaken. That the things that are made will be removed. And that's exactly what I feel like this season that we're all in is. It's a shaking. It's literally a shaking. Everything we once put our hope in is being shaken right now. Everything that once consumed our time has been removed. The world is shaking and it is exposing the faulty foundations we have built our life on and put our hope in. The shaking is removing the man-made systems we once put our confidence in. For we once put our hope and our confidence in the economy, our job security, the money in our bank account, our 401k, the government, the president, our local officials, our school system, but literally all of these things are being shaken right now. All of these things are unstable right now. None of these things are secure. And if our hope and confidence was in any of those things, we are left without hope now. Because if our hope has been shaken by the circumstances of living in this pandemic, it reveals that we have been placing our hope in the wrong things. And we cannot put our trust in anything that has been made by our own human hands. Because these things are shakable. They are temporary. And they are being removed as we speak. And this shaking is revealing God as the only solid rock. He is the only firm foundation. God and his kingdom are unshakable. And only the eternal will remain at the end of all this. And once all of creation and the things which are made are removed, only the unshakable remain. And so if our hope is going to endure, if our hope is going to last, we must put it in what is unshakable. We must put our hope in the eternal. And if our hope is not in Jesus, it will not endure. And also, our ability to endure also comes from hope. If we want to endure the trials and hardships, we must have hope, but that hope must be in Jesus. For the world likes to convince us that we can have hope, and it'll be fine, everything will be fine, but our hope won't last, and it won't save us and get us through until the end if it's not in Jesus. We will not be able to remain steadfast when troubles come if it's not in him. And so our ability to endure and the quality of our hope depends on where our hope lies. 
And so to give you a working definition of hope, this is literally what the Greek translation of this is in the concordance. And it's to anticipate usually with pleasure, expectation, or confidence. So hope is what we are anticipating. It's what we are looking forward to. It's what we're excited about. It's what we're expecting to happen. For an example, I am hoping to graduate college in two years. So that's what I'm expecting. It's what I'm anticipating. It's what I'm excited about and looking forward to. And it's, it's called, hope is also your confidence. What you know with 100% certainty, without a shadow of a doubt, it is a confidence. And Paul spends the entire book of 1 Thessalonians trying to repair the church's hope in the wake of some unexpected deaths they had and in the face of their own personal persecution. He spends this entire book reminding them of their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and the ultimate salvation he will provide when he returns. The second coming is literally mentioned in every single chapter of this book. There's five chapters, and it's mentioned in every single one of them because the hope and the second coming go hand in hand. That the second coming of Christ is our hope. His return is our hope. So when we put our hope in Christ, we are putting it in the fact that he's coming back to save us. That he's coming back to redeem us and to take us to be with him where he is. And the Thessalonian church had this hope. And they anticipated with excitement. For this is what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And it says, they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So we can look forward to the coming of Christ with expectation. His return is something to look forward to, not to live in fear or denial of. We don't have to fear the coming of Christ. We don't have to deny or avoid it's happening, but we can live with hope and looking forward to it. It's something to be enthusiastic about because he has rescued us from the terrors of judgment. That he has already rescued us from judgment. That is past tense, has rescued. So it's something that he has already done. It's not like we're standing here today waiting for Christ to come back and then we'll be rescued. But no, we were already rescued 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. And on that day, God chose to save us and said, I choose to save you instead of pour out my wrath on you. And that was done 2,000 years ago. It's already done. It's already a secure, eternal promise. And from the moment we chose to believe, he rescued us. So we don't have to fear judgment as believers or Christians because he has already rescued us the moment we believed, the moment we became saved. And now we live looking forward to it. And therefore, the second coming is not a source of fear for us as believers. It is a source of hope. It is our hope. For 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 8 through 11 says, But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, 
protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other, build each other up, just as you're already doing. And I like the beginning of that passage. It says the confidence of our salvation, that we need to wear as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. As I don't know about you, but I cannot be confident in much today. I cannot say with 100% certainty of anything of this earth anymore. And I can, and nor should we, place our confidence in much. For I cannot be confident in how long this pandemic will last. I cannot be confident in the medical field and their ability to find a vaccine before the end of the year. I cannot be confident in the government leaders and their ability to control their situation because they're human just like we are. And I cannot be confident in the economy returning back to normal. But we can and we should have an unwavering confidence in our salvation. That if we can be confident of anything, we can be confident of our salvation. That if we can know anything with 100% certainty, without any doubt or fear, is the fact that God saved us and that Jesus died for us. And we can live confident that God already chose to save us 2,000 years ago through his son. And our sole confidence is whether we are dead or alive when Christ returns, we will live with him forever in eternity. That is a promise, that is a guarantee, and that is our sole confidence. Our confidence is that Jesus died so that we can experience salvation instead of God's just anger. That our sole confidence is the saving work that Christ performed on Calvary, which guarantees our salvation is I am confident in the finished work of the cross. I am confident Jesus died so I could receive salvation and escape God's wrath. And I am confident that I will live with him forever when he returns. And that is your confidence, too. That's all of our confidence, too. That is our hope. For God chose to save us, that verse says, not condemn us. He chose of his own conscious will to save us because he wanted to. That's why his son died, and that's why he sent his son in the first place, so he could save us. The decision was already made. It was already made 2,000 years ago. So therefore, our salvation is secure. Though the world is unstable, and though the world is insecure, our hope, our salvation is secure. For us as a believer to face God's anger and still become separated from God would make his death on the cross, invalid. It can't happen. For we, he came so we could live with him forever and be with him forever. And we don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to fear separation because that work was already finished when Jesus died for us. And it says in that passage I just read that Paul writes these words to encourage and build up these believers during their suffering. He didn't say these things to condemn them or create fear within their hearts. As I said, Christ's return is our source of hope and encouragement. For this passage is a promise, not a threat. As we will be with the Lord and live with him forever. 
For Jesus died and through the cross, God chose to save us. And now when Christ returns, we will live with him forever. I know I'm saying this a lot, but we need to get it in our heads and get it in our hearts that this is our hope. Our eternity is secure through the cross, and he is coming back for us. And so today I say these words with the same, prop, the same purpose, to encourage you, to build you up. For Christ coming as our hope is our only way to endure. The only way we're going to endure is when our hope is placed in Christ's return. And so, yes, we may be destined for trouble, but we are also destined for salvation. As we are destined for salvation and not for wrath. And our hope lies in looking forward to Christ's return. Our hope is waiting for Christ's return with great expectation and expectancy. And our hope lies in our salvation. And our confidence lies in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so we live confident of our salvation, not second-guessing, not doubtful, for the enemy loves to make us second-guess our salvation. He loves to remind us of our past and our sin and tell us that we're not truly saved. But from the moment we believe in him, God chose to save us. And that is our confidence. It is a guaranteed and it is a finished work. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And so this confident hope of salvation will not lead to disappointment. You can put your hope in God and know for 100% certainty that he's not going to leave you ashamed. That he's not going to forsake you or abandon you or disappoint you, but you can put your hope in him and know that he's going to take care of you because he loves you so much. For believers in Christ have a certain hope of future glory and life eternal. As we have an unshakable hope knowing we will be saved from God's wrath on the day of judgment because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And I also want to say that we can become as unshakable as our God and as unmoved as his kingdom when we trust in him. We can become as unmovable as our God and as unshakable as his kingdom of heaven when we trust in him. And I get that statement from these two verses in Psalms. It says in Psalms 125.1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And then Psalms 55, 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Because it says in that earlier verse, it says, those who trust in the Lord cannot be moved. And the righteous will never be moved. So as we trust in him, we cannot be moved. God will never permit the righteous to be moved. Just as he is a solid rock, we can't become as unmovable as he is when we trust in him. And though troubles are guaranteed and the world shakes around us, we can keep from being moved and being shaken when we trust in God. 
when we place our hope in him. And often in the busyness and the distractions of life, we tend to lose focus on this kingdom we're receiving. We tend to lose focus on Christ's return. We lose focus on the eternal and become so ingrained in today that we forget that Christ is coming soon. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 2-6 says, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord returns will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. And when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you are in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day, and we don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. And this passage says that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. That everything will appear peaceful and secure, and then disaster will strike out of nowhere. And this sounds like, just that one verse sounds a lot like 2020 so far, because at the beginning of the year, everything was peaceful. Everything was seemingly secure. Then March rolls around, and everything becomes chaotic and unstable, and nobody knows what's going on. And so disaster fell, revealing the hidden instability of what once seemed secure. All these things once seemed secure, but they were always unstable. It just took the shaking to reveal that they were unstable. For the economy seemed secure. Our political system, our jobs, our education system, our income, our normal way of life seemed secure. In January, but they are slowly falling apart as we speak right now. They have all been shaken. And this shaking reveals our false sense of security placed in the wrong sources. As we have a weak and seemingly secure hope in the world until troubles come and then we are left hopeless. And Christ's coming should not catch us off guard. Though it will come quickly and unexpectedly, the verse says here that Paul tells us that we should not be surprised or caught off guard by it. For we know the day is coming. We are all aware that Christ is returning. We are not ignorant about these things. Therefore, the scripture tells us to be on guard and warns against being asleep. And the ESV translation says, let us not sleep as the others do, but let us keep awake. And so it warns against being asleep, and it tells us to stay awake, and we cannot be found asleep when Christ returns. And so what does sleep mean here? What does he mean by don't be asleep, stay awake? And again, the Greek translation definition of this is that sleep means to be morally and spiritually disengaged, living without consciousness of the coming day. And so it means being morally and spiritually disengaged and living without an awareness of Christ's return. It means going through the motions of your everyday life and never crossing your mind 
that our hope is in Christ's return. For the world with all of its distraction loves to lull us asleep to the point we become so consumed with this day that we forget about a coming day. We get so focused on today and the here and the now that we forget about the eternal life that we are destined for. The enemy wants us to become so wrapped up in our task and demands that we forget about the life that where we get to live with Christ forever when he returns. Because as we go to work and school, take care of our kids, tackle the challenges of life, we slowly lose consciousness of Christ's return. It's more of like an afterthought that we think about occasionally whenever somebody preaches on it or shares a verse about it. And we do not think about it much in reality. And we do not live every day with this awareness that he is coming. Is we're focused on this day, not the coming day. And that's what it means to be asleep. Is we're not aware of how quickly he can come. And here's the problem with that, is while we're so consumed in today that we forget where our hope lies. For our hope doesn't lie in today and in this world and in this life, but our hope lies in forever, in eternal life, and in heaven. And so while we're so focused on today, we're not even concerned about where our actual hope is. And so maybe that's why so many of us live hopeless, because we're focused on today and not a coming day. Because that's where our hope is, is in Christ return. And if we're going to endure the troubles we're facing, if we're going to maintain and strengthen our hope instead of lose it, we need to wake up as a church and stay awake. Not just this church, but the church as a whole. We need to wake up. For it's time for the church to awaken. Because an alarm has sounded to awaken us from our sleep to make us aware again, to make us conscious again. And may we never become drowsy again. For it's time to become engaged spiritually. Not just go through the motions and just come to church once a week and sit through a sermon and sit through worship, but to become engaged spiritually, to be engaged in worship, to be engaged in prayer, to be engaged in reading God's word again and digging into the truth, the only solid rock, to be engaged and involved. It means to be engaged morally by following God, obeying his commands, living our past behind, our sin behind, and living a life that pleases him, being engaged morally, living a righteous life, living a holy life. For it's time to live every day with the awareness that Christ is coming. It doesn't have to be all that consumes our faults, but in the back of the mind, we should always have this heightened sense that maybe one day, maybe today, maybe this moment, this could be the day. It's coming, and it is our hope. For I don't know when Christ is returning. No one does. But we need to live every day at least with this awareness that he is coming. With a consciousness that he is coming. And Paul says to stay awake and stay alert. Don't fall asleep. Again, just going through the motions, but be aware and be engaged. Which means be on your guard and watching and waiting and living with expectancy. Because heaven is our home and Christ is coming for us. 
And as long as we stay alert, as long as we stay awake, as long as we don't fall asleep, we will not be surprised. And we won't be caught off guard when he returns because we were waiting the whole time. We're watching the whole time. That's why we need to stay alert, be awake, so we're not caught off guard, so that we're not surprised when he does come. For we know the day is coming, and so we need to live with that expectancy. And Paul tells us to be alert, not alarmed. Not alarmed, but alert. Alert just means you're watchful, you're waiting, you're looking, you're watching. But alarmed means secretly on the inside you're worried, you're concerned, you're frightened. And as I said probably a thousand times already, the coming of the Lord is not something to fear or dread. We're not to be alarmed by the coming and his soon return. But it is our hope. And when he comes, he is coming so we may live with him. And he would have already been exempted from God's anger since the moment we chose to believe. So we can be alert, not with fear or anxiety or dread about it, but with a hope and expectancy. So Amy and the worship team can come. I'm getting ready to close it out. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, though we are destined for troubles We can face hardships and not be shaken by them. We can face the winds and the waves and not be moved by them. We can remain steadfast and endure, though the world shakes around us. Because our confidence is in our salvation. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And we can become as immovable as our God when we trust in him alone. Not in the world, not in the government systems, but in God alone. For troubles will come, and we can either be shaken by them and lose hope, or we can develop endurance. We can have a greater hope, a greater hope, because it all depends on where our hope lies. And we cannot just sit around going about our days hoping for things to get back to normal. Yes, I pray for that, and I believe that, But I can't put my hope in that. I can't put my hope in things going back to normal and then everything will be fine. Because our hope does not lie in the world to begin with anyway. Our hope must lie in the ultimate salvation when Christ returns. So be encouraged today. Build your life upon a firm foundation, the only solid rock, and we will not be shaken. Remain confident in your salvation. Put your hope and trust in him and stay awake until he returns. Be engaged, be involved. And I'm here to encourage you and to remind you of the hope we have. And this hope will allow us to endure this season and the coming seasons. So if everybody will stand today. For I want to give a call. I want to address a few things. And so maybe you're sitting here, you're standing here, and you're listening to me, and you say, okay, I confess I have lost hope. And it's, easy, it's okay to say that. My hope has wavered. My hope has diminished in the last three months. 
Maybe you've confessed, I've put my hope in the wrong sources. I had my hope in things of this world and not in Christ, but I want to change that. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're so focused and you have been focused on this day that you have fallen asleep, but you want to wake up and you want to be engaged and you want to be involved. Or maybe you simply just want to praise God in this moment for the salvation he's given us, for the hope he has given us. And if that's you, if any of those things are you, I would like for you just to come to the front if you're comfortable, if you're okay with that, just to spend some time in prayer, to spend some time in worship. So if that was you, you can move to the front. And I'm going to say this prayer real quick. So dear God, I thank you for this time and for this word that you have spoken tonight and for the fact that our hope lies in you that we don't have to put our hope in things that are shaking around us, but we can put our hope with a confident salvation that you give us, God. And so I pray that you would just bless every single person in here who seems hopeless, who has lost hope. I pray that you would restore their hope right here and now in this moment as we put our hope in you. I pray that we as a people would become unshaken by these troubles because we have put our hope in you, and that you would challenge us today to build our lives upon you and that you would awaken your church, God, to be aware of the coming of Christ, to live with expectancy about it and anticipation. And so I pray that you would move in their hearts and just let this word be sealed within them. In this in your name I pray. Amen.